Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is May 20th. I am David Gasper, joined by my co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. Joining us for our brewers discussion this week on the Cold Brew Podcast is Grant Bills, host of the host of the Wisco Sports Show, uh, playing in Lacrosse, Madison, and Eau Claire in three cities now. Grant, uh, thanks so much for for coming on the pod. How you doing? I'm doing good. I have to come on the pod. You come on my show once a week, and I feel bad. Like you give my show a lot of content. So whatever you guys need, whatever I can offer, which isn't much, but yeah, I'm more than happy to talk Brewers. Absolutely. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, we always got plenty to plenty to talk about there, both on the Wisco Sports Show and here on the Cold Brew Podcast. And you know, as I'm sitting here uh, with my Miller Lite, as as I always do on the Cold Brew Podcast. Nice. And watching the games the past few days, if the Brewers offense continues to hit like this, I'm going to need something stronger than Miller Lite. <laughs> uh, it has been bad. Uh, they got shut out in Brandon Woodruff's start uh, the other day. Uh, and then they scored a couple of runs, but it, weren't, it wasn't enough for the eventual bullpen implosion in Corbin Burns' start. Uh, but Christian Yelich was back, and we all thought, was like, oh, hey, this is going to be great. Yelich is back. Um, but Yelich didn't really do much in his first two days back. I'm mean, going to get, he's still getting back into the swing of things, but, uh, Grant, the return of Yelich didn't quite provide the immediate spark everyone was hoping for. No, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr. had a spark last night too. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to give Yelich a lot of time on my show today. Uh, so we're doing this on Thursday. So just, I, we're recording this right after my show. I, I tried to lay out the groundwork for the Yelich thing. Because I think we all need to understand, maybe not right now, but in the near future, if he's healthy, like the Brewers need quite a bit from him. Like they don't need him to come back and get seeing eye singles and take walks like they have a lineup of guys who can do that. The expectation for Yelich is at some point that he starts hitting for power again. So that that's what I'm looking for. Right. I was looking at, you know, percentage of balls that he's barreled up the last two years and launch angle. And I'm just looking for these power numbers. And you can't really go off this year's numbers yet but just looking at where he's going to need to be because the Brewers have this, this offensive foundation, right? All these guys like Wong and Narvaez, who I don't, I think Brewers fans sleep on and his impact, all these guys who can get on and, and they can do nice things, but they don't have a hammer right now. Like that's what Yelich needs to be. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm impatient with Yelich. I, I want to be fair. Cause he just got back, but like, I tried to make it very clear on my show. Like they're going to need quite a bit from him and they, they need him to get healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. We have, high expectations of Yelich, right? He's former MVP. We expect that he comes in and he just starts bashing right away. But the guy, Mm -hmm. you know, just went through, you know, two stints on the IL, um, still trying to figure out this back thing. uh, They say he's healthy, but, um, you know, he's still got to get back into the swing of things. So um, I I agreed, you know, we got to give the guy a little patience. It's it's only fair. Um, But he was hitting well, granted, like you said, not for power, and that's what the Brewers need out of him. But he was hitting at the very least, which is more than we can say about last year with him and not to mention many Brewers. Um, So he had that going for him. We just need him to get back kind of into that groove now that he's playing again. And, you know, they they intended to ease him back a little bit. That's why they let him DH as opposed to um, throwing him right back into left field. So. Yeah, we've got that a little bit. Hopefully he leads by example, starts hitting a little bit, and then maybe that becomes contagious because, man, Lord knows we need a number of other brewers to start hitting as well as him. Yeah, and 
And, and that's the, the very big contagious thing that we need going around uh, this Brewers lineup at the moment. Uh, the <laughs> only it. contagious thing yeah. Yeah, that, that they need <laughs> going around there. Um, well but yeah, like Yelich, you know, he, he doesn't have a single home run yet this year. I mean, I get he's only played, in, I think, like 12 games now because he only had 10 before he went on the IL and then he had one game back and uh, now, now he's he's had two games back. So he's at like 13 games on the season. So like it's not anything to be overly concerned about uh, that his power hasn't shown up. But uh, there was one at bat, I, I recall, in that Royals series where it was like a first pitch like 93, 94 miles an hour, pretty much right in his wheelhouse, like early on in the count that typically he crushes. Like I think in 2019, like most of his home runs were either on the first pitch or second pitch of the at-bat. And last year and this year, it appears, Yelich is a bit more cautious and he's not really as aggressive early in the count. And that was really kind of what was leading to his success before. So I'm, I'm, really kind of confused as to why he's backing off now. Well, and I've, I've talked about this on, on my show too. It, it seems to me sometimes they go up to the plate and they don't really have a plan. And I guess if you want to criticize Andy Haynes or whoever is, is leading the charge, it's not just Andy Haynes. Um, and I don't want to rip him. I don't know him. I don't know what their process is, but sometimes hitters go up there and they so quickly find themselves down. Oh, two, one, two. And that, Getting an account like that right off the bat makes it so much more difficult to then try to turn around on a pitch and and make a play. And I like swinging at pitches earlier in the count with Yelich. I think so. But then then sometimes he'll he'll see a pitch, he'll recognize a pitch, track it and just miss it. And how many times have we seen that this year? Not just with Yelich, but I feel like a couple of times a game I'm listening to B.A. or Rock or Levering and Lane Grindle. And they're saying things like, oh, that's a pitch you'd like to have back. Well, he missed that one and he knew it. And I just feel like that's not even limited to Yelich. That's this whole offense right now. Does it seem like the Brewers are maybe being a little overly patient? I mean, mm-hmm. it's the it, walking is actually one of the few things that the Brewers do decently well. Um, when I had looked up kind of some of their stats for runners in scoring position for a piece, they were second in the league with walks uh, with that RASP. The problem is that's not driving runs home when you're doing that. Uh, in general, they're sitting at a 9% walk rate, which is 12th in the league. Not too shabby, um, but it's all those, you know, the hitting <laughs> hitting stats and uh, strikeout stats and everything like that that's looking terrible. So, like, maybe, and again, that's this big, I, I'm the same way, you know, I don't feel like they should get rid of Andy Haynes, and I don't, you know, fully know what his philosophy is, but are they being a little bit too patient? I don't know. Like, maybe they could be a little more aggressive and, you know, run their way in into some hits or something i i something's got to improve maybe that's it Eh, who knows well and maybe that speaks to the pressure they're all feeling too right you Mm -hmm. talk about how one guy one guy struggles then the next guy struggles and then it bleeds out into the field and it's maybe it's just one big compounding problem that's impacting all the hitters i don't know once again i i never play baseball at a competitive level i'm just watching from afar and i'm trying to make sense of these things and and write and talk about it like like you guys do it was the same with Keston Hero, right? Pitches that these guys should be barreling up, they're just not. And that's, I don't think that's limited to the Brewers. I think that's been a problem across baseball. I mean, we've had, what, four no-hitters in a span of 15 six. days. Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, six on the season, seven if you if you count Bumgarners. Yeah, so we have six. I don't count Bumgarners, but that's beside the point. They, they've had four in the last 15 days, which hasn't happened since the early 1900s. So I, I don't think it's a problem that's limited to the Brewers. However, I mean, we've seen teams like the Cardinals and like the Royals get up there and at least be able to to get activity. 
right? And I think what bothers me about the Brewers offense is they're doing they're doing less with more. Like last night's game is so indicative. The, the game two of the Royals and the Brewers. Brewers Royals, they lost 6-4. Kansas City got six runs on seven hits. The Brewers had nine hits, but only four runs. So the way the Brewers are playing, they're allowing their opponents to do more with less. And then themselves, they're doing less with more. I think that's what's so frustrating about this, too, is they're not maximizing the small successes that they're having here and there at the plate. Yeah, and, and that circles back to the runners in scoring position. They'll they'll get, you know, one or two hits. They'll get guys on, you know, runners on first and second, first and third, and then they don't get enough hits to drive them in. You know, you could have, you know, by the third inning, they'll have five hits, but no runs on the board because no one comes through in that inning to get the to get the guys in. And it's just been, you know, yeah, like you said, doing less with more. And, and they've been yeah. getting, you know, some of those hits. And, you know, how many times have we seen a leadoff double and the guy gets stranded at second base? And, like, no one else can can move him over. No one else can bring him in. And that, of course, always starts the bunt debate on Twitter. And, yeah. Grant, I, I know you've got a pretty <laughs> strong feelings when it comes to the bunt. I mean, I'm not, like... I'm not like a miserable old man that's always against bunting, although I think older people typically are for bunting. I just I just think we use it as a straw man argument to make ourselves feel better about our team. Like, I think a lot of fans believe that if you just bunt here and there, you'd win all these games. Like, no, the the advantage, the edge you get from bunting and the situation where you want to bunt, they're few and far between. Like the Brewers could lose six to nothing and be like, oh, if you would just bunt. It's like, well, no, that maybe they should bunt more, but they're not losing you know, three out of four, four out of four games in these series. They're not getting swept because they can't bunt. Um, last night, I, I mean, and I keep saying last night, I forget we're podcasting because I'm a live radio person, but game two against the Royals, right? The first inning, they had a little positivity. They get Wong on, they get him over with a ground ball to the right side, and then Narvaez gets him in. That's not hard, right? Like, you see that and you're like, okay, that that should be something that they can do more often than not. And yet they can. It's unbelievable. Like you said, you get a leadoff double, it's almost like the kiss of death. You get two pop-ups and a strikeout. It's been it's been tough to watch. I I agree with, I think, both of you guys. I'm not a never bunt person, but but I think this fan base just has an obsession with bunting and they use it as a straw man argument for what should have happened anytime the Brewers lose. And it's it's certainly not as big of a problem as I think a lot of fans seem to think. Yeah, I'm close to never bunting philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm right with you. I, I would much rather see them going for it and the analytics very clearly support that that uh runner on second with no outs versus runner on third with one out um Mm -hmm. the difference is near negligible and so why not go with you know swinging for it all because then maybe you can make additional things happen you know maybe that um becomes a two-run homer or a big double or something like that i wouldn't mind you know i love the safety squeezes those types of situations but like last night for example um, you get in a situation where you do move the runner over to third, and then you have Christian Yelich coming up to the plate. You're not going to have Christian Yelich bunt. Like, that's just not going to happen. And a lot of these situations where, you know, potentially, you know, you could bunt are where you have that middle of the order up. Um, Avi, Travis Shaw, Christian Yelich, and so on. And though you are just not going to ask those guys to bunt. Craig Council is not going to make those guys bunt. It's just not going to happen. If it worked out where, you know, you had a bottom of the order guy or a pitcher or something like that makes a little bit more sense. But it's just 
it's just not going to happen. That's just not the way council goes. And I, I personally, you know, I'm for it. I, that's yeah, I, I agree. I think it's yeah. I think it's smart baseball. I think it's modern baseball. Even if the Brewers are in a bit of a slump offensively right now, I, Avi Garcia is a good example. And I, I think it's a good thought experiment to think through. Let's say that somebody's on second base. There's no outs. Avi Garcia is at the plate. I don't know. This this happened in extra innings or this was this happened in the last couple of weeks. And it became like a really interesting debate. Do you have Avi Garcia bunt him over to get him at third base with less than two outs? Here's the thing. Bunting is by no means a given. Right. Mm-hmm. And hitting is just hard in general right now. So if you're bunting, you're taking a risk. If you're hitting, you're taking a risk. The payoff for a successful bunt is an out and a runner at third. The payoff for Avi Garcia, if he gets a hit, is a home run. It's a ball off the wall. Like that man can hit the ball very, very hard. So I, you're taking a risk either way. You're making a bet. You're betting and saying, okay, we can either get a bunt down and move him over, which is going to end in and out, or we can make a bet that he's going to get a hit and drive him in and this inning could turn into something bigger. I would rather make the latter bet then put my money on Avi Garcia dropping down a bunt on a 98 mile an hour fastball. That's another thing people don't get. Like we're seeing what we're seeing with starting pitchers, especially this year is just, I've never seen anything like this before. These guys are so good. And to just treat a bunt like it's a given, I I just, I don't know. I I think you're ignoring, I think you're ignoring the game. Like, I don't think you're taking all the factors into consideration. Yeah. And we saw, I I remember seeing on, on Wednesday night there, Travis Shaw tried to, lay down a surprise bunt against the, against the shift. He ended up, he ended up popping it straight up into the air. And mm-hmm. luckily it landed in like the first row in the seats behind the net. Otherwise that would have been an out. It's like, this is why they don't have guys like Travis Shaw bunt. Like they, they don't do it often. They're not good at it. I remember looking it up for, uh, for a segment on, on your show, Grant, a couple of weeks ago, when you had me on, how many times has Craig council had a non-position player, attempt to attempt to sacrifice bunt in the last four years 12 12 total times since 2018 he's asked for it and only once in the last two years yeah there was one time earlier this year that that he asked a non a non-pitcher to attempt to sacrifice bunt and i don't even think it it worked out successfully so really it's just it, it it's not something that they're going to do um, it's, and I, I agree with you guys, like the percentages, I'd rather have them swing away and try to get a single, a double something else and not give up the out because those outs are, are pretty precious for them. Um, and yeah, it's, it's modern baseball. Like the, the whole league's kind of been going away from bunting. And I mean, I know this isn't Brewers related, but speaking of modern baseball, Tony LaRussa <laughs> is stuck <laughs> decades in the past oh my god grant how much fodder did did tony larusa give you this past week well it's so fun we do this once a summer at least where some player does something that breaks an unwritten rule and it's funny because it's never in like a high leverage moment in a close game it's always in an irrelevant game that it's like 12 to 3 it was no one's even watching last year exactly last year was fernando tatis and we spent the next week debating it and you have all of the trevor bowers of the world chiming in on twitter and i'm like i'll just sit back and watch it like i i love unwritten rules in baseball because it gets it, it creates this like i because people get mad people have differing opinions and it's a fun thing that we do once a year it's a little bit less fun this year, and it's just weird that Tony LaRusa is siding with an opposing team. He's calling his own players clueless. I think of Lance Lynn. He said, there's a reason Lance Lynn has a locker and I have an office. It's just very weird. I saw a clip today of 
CC Sabathia just going off. He was ranting yeah. on his podcast. I thought it was hilarious. There were so many curse words. Otherwise, I would have used it on my show. <laughs> He's like, this is stupid. This is unbelievable. And I I'm, I don't know. I don't I don't follow the White Sox that closely, but I can't imagine that locker rooms all with Tony La Russa right now. I think it's hilarious. I love watching this. We do it once a summer. The part that just blew me away was when he said he had no problem with the Twins pitcher throwing at his guy. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. Like, are are you kidding me? Like, to not have your players back, say what you will about old school old school guys and what they do about unwritten rules and everything like that. Fine, you're going to go one way or the other. I get that. But to not have your guys back in that situation is completely, to use his own word against him, clueless. Like... <laughs> That's unbelievable. And so it's kind of this interesting dynamic, though, that the White Sox have one of the best records in all of Major League Baseball. And uh, as of a couple days ago, anyway, had the top run differential. So they're a very good team. uh, And that's been with La Russa at the helm. So I don't know where they go from here. I'm sure he's lost a lot of guys in that locker room, but uh, it'll be an interesting uh, thing to watch over the season because you well, know this i mean this happened this early you know more things are going to pop up well what do you, what's what's what is the greater possibility that this locker room rallies around tony la Russa for some reason or <laughs> that they i don't know continue to fracture i mean tim anderson was calling him out on social media the other day he's like nah man we don't we're not listening to him it's just it's a really weird situation it was announced today that tyler duffy got suspended for throwing at mercedes rocco baldelli got a game suspension mm-hmm. too and I saw somebody joke on Twitter, like Tony LaRusso is probably going to file an appeal on on the twins behalf. Like, <laughs> why, why not? Like, of course he is. It's just so weird. I get the unwritten rules, but to take it to this extent that Tony LaRusso has, it's just it's odd. Yeah. And it sucks that he's the manager of that team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't suck because it's really entertaining. Like, the, this is so funny <laughs> to follow. But it, his personality definitely does not match that of of the White Sox team. And I don't know. No, I mean, we, we even we even said that as soon as he was hired, as soon as they're like, oh, yeah, we hired Tony La Russa, Everyone's like, eh, are you sure? The White Sox <laughs> seem like a pretty fun team. And Tony La Russa is notoriously anti fun. Um, so <laughs> I think we kind of knew there was going to be some rubbing the wrong way. And, yeah, Tim Anderson and and your man Mercedes have have both kind of been, you know, joking around like on Twitter, on social media and just been like, nah, whatever. I'm, I'm going to keep on doing me and, and doing whatever. So. I'm going to play my game, to which Tony Russo said, no, you play the game of baseball. You respect the game. You respect the signs. And we're like, okay. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay dude. dude. Yeah, See how that works it, out for you. Yeah, it's like, says the guy who didn't respect the actual uh, rules of don't drink and drive, couldn't respect that one, and also doesn't even know the actual written rules because he, he's had numerous occasions this year where it's like, oh, I didn't know I could – put someone other than my pitcher out there on base. I didn't know I could do this. And it's like, you don't know the actual written rules, but you got the unwritten ones perfectly memorized. Oh, like, yeah. Come on, dude. What's the yeah. appeal of Tony La Russa in 2021? Like Jerry Reinsdorf from the White Sox, when they hired him, like what were they what were they going for? Did they think like, oh, we have this young team, but like we need discipline if we're really going to maximize this roster. So we get Tony. La- I, like I can't get behind the thought process of why they brought him in in the first place. Other than like Reinsdorf had a chance to hire him a long time ago and didn't. So now he's trying to make up for that. Like, well, I, well he I he did it. hire him a long time ago and then he fired him. That's right. That's right. And then Larusa ended up ended up becoming a, a Hall of Fame manager. And he's like, oh, I've got an opportunity to get him again. But it's like he's 76. He's been retired for a decade. He's past his prime. Like, just let him be retired. And yeah. 
like now you've brought all this and now you've really kind of screwed up your chances here and you're going to end up having to fire him at some point once again. And if he keeps on doing this with his players, it's going to be sooner rather than later. So yeah, but being on the cold brew podcast and being Brewers fans, we're always happy to talk crap about Tony La Russa. <laughs> yeah. It is just, uh, like you said, Grant, it's so much fun. Well, you know, and- What's funny too is while the White Sox are going through this, the Twins are 14 and 28, and they're they're just like the punching bag in that division. They're the team on the other side of the diamond. It's just, it's a really weird, it's a weird scenario. And honestly, I I'm here for it because it's entertaining, right? I talk about sports every day. It's not just the Brewers. This is just a fact, and it gets people going, right? It gets people talking about baseball, which I think baseball needs. So people yeah. say that baseball needs to get more modern. I don't think it's the worst thing that that factions of baseball are still holding on to these rules because it gets people fired up and passionate about a sport that is this long, slow burn and is kind of boring. I think in a good way, this is the passionate type of thing that, that I think baseball sometimes lacks. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm just glad it's not my team. <laughs> oh man. Could you imagine being a uh, Craig council, being that kind of a old school guy trying to punish someone like, uh, uh, let's see. I don't know who's who's probably the most fun guy on the roster right now. Well, it was Orlando Arcia. It was Orlando. Yeah. Vogelbach maybe. Could you imagine him trying to punish Vogelbach for for hitting a home run in a three zero count late in the game? Well, for, first of all, the Brewers would have to be blowing somebody out. Like, that ain't <laughs> yeah. happening. <laughs> so. Yeah, I just but, I don't think it would be a big deal. Like Council has done such a good job when they had the thing with the Cubs and Contreras. Like, we went into that game, and I'm like, the Brewers aren't going to throw at anyone. Like, they, they just yeah. don't really bother themselves with these things. It's it's these ceremonial gestures where you have a guy go out and throw behind the back, and then he gets thrown out, and everybody's arguing. Are you kidding me? It's like, we, you knew it was going to happen. And I just, I don't yeah. think the Brewers like to mix it up and waste their time with that, which might be a little boring to some, but I don't know. I, I respect it. I just don't think Craig Council would allow something like this to really become a big deal. I mean, if we want to go through some of the similar things, we could always bring Ken Maka back. He seems like the oh guy god, no, that. no. <laughs> is he still alive? How old is that guy? I'm gonna look him up. I'm I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Oh, he's but... seventy. Oh, he's a young spry seventy. Yeah, oh. he's doing. I'm oh, just yeah. thinking. He aged he's quickly. six years younger than uh, Larusa, so he's got plenty of managerial time left. Oh my god. Well, they can yeah. hire Ken Maka to replace Larusa, maybe. Yeah. And they let him go. <laughs> And the thing is, Ken Maka also lost that clubhouse. I've seen Jason Kendall talk about it, like in 2010 when they had the when they had the bowling ball celebration with Fielder, and like you know everyone was in on it but Maka. And you know Kendall was like talking about it's like, oh yeah, like that's when like he kind of realized that he had completely lost the the locker room, and yeah, that team was that team was bad because he lost the locker room. They didn't they didn't trust him and. I mean, I think the White Sox are succeeding in spite of Tony La Russa, not because of Tony La Russa, because they've just got an uber-talented team. Well, and they're dealing with injuries to some of their best, most talented players, too. Yeah, That's Robert Jimenez. Nuts. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts, man. That's a fun team. And I, honestly, I'm here for it. I, I hope La Russa's around for a while so we can continue to watch this play out, because it's... I'm just here to watch this all burn, if you can't tell. Like, I'm just... I'm just here to watch the dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's get back to, the, back to the Brewers now. So this starting rotation has been absolutely incredible. You got Woodruff and Burns, both with sub-two ERAs. And the Brewers are eight and seven um, in the games that they've started. Um, Or eight and eight is it now, I think. Either way, they have been 
really bad. Uh, the offense has not been supporting them. Burns has had, Burns has seen his team get shut out in three of his seven starts so far, and in and in a fourth start he got just one run. So things are not looking as good. Brandon Woodruff has the lowest run support per nine innings of any qualified pitcher in baseball with just 1.58 runs of support. And he also has a 1.58 ERA, so he's given up the same amount of runs as he's gotten in support uh, per nine innings, which isn't a lot. And it's just it's so frustrating because this is this is a top-level rotation. I, I saw MLB had like their you know informal poll of Cy Young candidates. The Brewers had three guys receiving votes. Woodruff was second in the tally, Burns was third, and Freddie Peralta even received received some votes. They got three guys getting Cy Young votes, and they're below 500. They're, they're not getting any run support. I think I think we need to remind ourselves as Brewers fans, because we've never I've never had a rotation like this in my lifetime. They're they're brilliant for all the reasons you just mentioned. I, I want this team to get in a playoff series so we can watch them work. I, I agree with everything you just said. Something that I think we need to remind ourselves of when the Brewers build a team this way based on pitching and run prevention and a great bullpen. It's just a casualty of war that you were going to have some of these great starts go to waste. They didn't really invest in high power, high octane offense. So guess what? Every once in a while, Corbin Burns is going to throw seven innings of one run ball and they might not win the game. Okay. That's going to happen. And it's happened to pitchers like DeGrom. It's not some human rights violation that this has happened. What blows my (laughs) mind and what I think is really the, the amazing thing is just as a whole, how often the Brewers find a way to lose games that a starting pitcher goes six or seven, one run, two run, no runs. Like that's hard to do. That's like having the better quarterback over the course of an NFL schedule in every game and still losing games. Or like in an NBA series, if you have the best player in the series still losing, it's really hard to do. Like when you have a starting pitcher the other night, as Brandon Woodruff did, go seven and two thirds innings, scoreless. Like think of it as as a bowling analogy. That's like the bowling pins moving like 90% of the way towards you. Like all the work is done for you. You just got to roll the ball and just knock them over. And and that's what blows my mind. It's not individual games like, oh, they wasted a burn start. They wasted a a woody start. That's going to happen here and there. But it's consistently that they find a way to lose most of these games. And like, I'm going to try to dig up historical win probabilities of teams when a starter goes six scoreless, seven scoreless. Like, I want to know what the historical precedent is for this, because the Brewers have to be a huge buck in whatever trend already exists. I just need to find it somewhere. I don't know where. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to talk about the two, you know, Cy Young candidates at this point. Um, but Freddie Peralta and Adrian Hauser suffering the same thing. Freddie Peralta is getting more run support. I think uh, David had actually looked that up, but Hauser is not. Um, so everyone's kind of suffering from this. I think a big part of the problem right now, um, which will hopefully be resolved now that we have a lot of these injured guys back, is that some of the guys who are keeping us afloat are no longer doing so. You know, we had a guy like Tyrone Taylor who, you know, looked for a while like he had kind of arrived you know he had stepped in he was hitting over 300 getting big hits for a while um he's taken a dip in production he doesn't have a hit since may 9th that's 11 days ago now um and his average has dropped all the way to 206 billy mckinney kind of similar he's got one hit in his last uh it's eight or nine games he's down to 207 um he was you know coming up with some big moments that he had that big catch uh in one of corbin burns starts in, in i think san that was diego san yeah. diego Right. Um, But he's kind of 
backtracked a little bit. And those were the types of guys who were allowing the Brewers to be at the top of the division for a while, while all these guys were out hurt. Um, now the Taylors, the McKinney's, the Luke Maley's, he's not around anymore. The Nottingham's, he's not around anymore. Um, interesting timing because he is now back in Seattle again as of today. Um, <laughs> Sleepless out there with all his yeah, fights. Yeah. He, those types of guys that were kind of helping patch the wounds aren't quite um, cutting it anymore. And so hopefully now that we've got a lot of these guys back, you know, they start to build themselves up and maybe kind of take things back over. And like, you know what, the guys that we expected at the beginning to carry this team are now ready and healthy to do that. Um, and last night's lineup was one of the first ones I remember seeing where it was pretty close to what it would have been at the beginning of the season. Um, and that uh, happened to be the first time we had put up four runs in well over a week. Um, so we're close. We just now need to get it, you know, on a consistent level. I think I think we're in hopefully in the middle of the baton being handed off from right. the players that you mentioned who who kind of kept the wheels turning and, and that transition's going a little clunky. Yeah, McAlvey wrote about it uh, in his piece today. Let me find it. The first time that they've had those four guys active and in the lineup. How can I find it? So Yelich, Kane, Wong, Narvaez, all active for the same time this week for the first time since the second week of April. That's significant. And you do need to give that a minute to breathe. Matt, I want to piggyback off of something you said. The, the guys who were carrying things are no longer doing so. The patchwork guys, Tyrone Taylor, Luke Maley, Billy McKinney. I think this is a bigger overreaching issue that kind of transcends even those guys, right? When the Brewers play in games that are decided by one runs, two runs, when they're taking the 0-0 games into the seventh, the Brewers just invite all sorts of negative variants to enter the equation, right? Like, oh, tonight, Devin Williams didn't get this call at the bottom of the zone. It ends up being a walk, and then the runs end up scoring. Okay, that call was a big deal in that game, but if the Brewers simply score three runs, that call is completely irrelevant, right? Avi Garcia getting thrown out the other night, that doesn't matter if they're able to score simply three runs. Like, umpiring, review review calls, right? Like, that play at home plate. Brewers mm -hmm. got totally the raw end of the deal there. He, it looks mm -hmm. like he very well could have been out, but there was no angle. It was called one way on the field, and it's and it stuck. They got the bad end of a coin flip, and that coin flip very well could have decided that game because that's that's what happens when you play in these close games. You invite all of these outside factors that are, by and large, outside of a team's control. Then they start deciding games, and I think that's also why these Brewer games have been so frustrating is it's been one little thing after another that's been deciding these games on a night-in and night-out basis. These things aren't factors if you simply score three, four, five runs here and there. Yeah, absolutely. And they just invite, and then, you know, one single error from, you know, Luis Arias or whoever else can all of a sudden just uh, have a whole thing steamroll. And then instead of, you know, one run scoring, it's like, okay, now you're down by one. Next thing you know, you're down by three or four. And then it's just, it just seems uh, insurmountable, especially with the way that the offense uh, has been going. And, you know, a lot of people on uh, Twitter are, you know, trying to play the, the blame game and you know who, who do they blame and twitter has mostly chosen andy haynes as their scapegoat but uh, i mean there, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of ways for for blame to go around here so let's try to let's try to play the blame game a little bit here uh on the cold brew podcast um so let, let's kind of have let's say like a pie chart all right okay. with you know you could go you know 40 percent one thing 30 percent another thing you know whatever we got five different uh, categories, five, five different place, 
places you can put the blame. Andy Haynes, David Stearns for you know putting the roster together, the players themselves just not performing, uh, injuries attacking this roster, and Rob Manfred deadening the baseballs. And as much as we all want to put 100% blame on Rob Manfred, I think that deadening the baseballs has has played an effect. I mean, the Brewers are still among the worst in the league offensively, but numbers are down across the board in, in baseball offensively. So, I mean, the, the best teams that hitting-wise are doing slightly worse than normal, but the worst teams offensively just look so much further worse than than anyone expected. And I think the the dead in baseball from Rob Manfred plays a part in it. So so those are the five categories. Andy Haynes, David Stearns, the players, injuries, and Rob Manfred. How much blame do you place in in each of those uh, different categories? Grant Bills, Wisco Sports Show, start with you. Well, I want to address one thing you said about how, like, the worst teams offensively in baseball are even worse now. Like, I think deadening the baseball, it just shifted the whole bell curve left Mm -hmm. on the x-axis, right? Like, it lowered the ceiling of all these offenses. And Craig Council kind of poo-pooed it. Adam McCalvey asked him about it, and Council was like, I don't know. I can't tell you. But there's been so many line drives that have been caught right at the wall. So many home runs that have come up just a couple feet short. So I I think it is significant. I'm going to put a big chunk of blame, let's say 40%. On David Stearns, who I like, and I don't blame him for the roster he put together. I blame David Stearns for, uh, I'm assuming, I'm inferring based on what we've seen. I'm blaming David Stearns for putting this roster together and seemingly not communicating with Craig Council what's going on here. Because David Stearns put one team together based on run prevention and pitching. And Craig Council seemingly wants to manage a different way. Craig Council doesn't want to bunt. He doesn't want to get drudged down with small ball. He just kind of wants to play modern baseball, but that's not really the roster that Stearns gave him. I like this roster, and I think it's capable of winning a lot of games, but Council might have to tweak the way that he's going about this. I think the way they built this team and the way they're managing this team are two different things. And I think that kind of clash of philosophies is at the root of this issue. I also think injuries are a huge deal. So I'd probably say 40% Stearns-Council combo, injuries another, say, 20%. I think Andy Haynes has to take some blame. Right. Like I know he's a really hard worker. All the players go to bat for him literally and in in interviews and, and in, you know, different communications. I, but I think he has to take some blame. Rob Manfred deadening the baseball or just like Rob Manfred and baseball, just allowing baseball to fundamentally change this year. Like if you follow Rob Friedman, you look at Pitching Ninja and you're seeing these highlights. The game looks different this year, you guys. Like mm-hmm. breaking balls are now the pace that and the speed that fastballs were 10 years ago. I remember watching baseball games when 93 was cooking it for a starter like that was that was hardcore stuff and now if you're not throwing 98 you know you're not an elite starting pitcher you're Brent Suter and your 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 pace and your speed is talked about nonstop. so I think baseball I don't know do you have to move the mound back do you have to lower it but these pitchers are just too darn good and I think over the next two months or so will tell us a lot if these hitters and hitting coaches are able to adapt and make changes and if not like the league might have to do something a small tweak to, to give these hitters a little bit more of a level playing field, because this is a different version of baseball that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, I am going to go, I'm going to put a whopping 50% on the players themselves. Ultimately, oh. it's up to them to perform, right? And I've seen a lot of people refer to this as, you know, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, you know, um, people get 
over-exaggerating, and they'll call this a bad team. You know, <laughs> Bruges will start losing, and they'll say, yeah, this is just a bad team. I don't think this is a bad team. I think this is a good team that's playing bad. All of these guys have track record. All of them have been successful for more than one season. I think it's a good group of players that were put together, and they just all are struggling right now. Um, and we've seen what they can do at their best. So it, it's it's hard for me to say that, you know, when it comes to performance on the field, that more of the blame can't be put on the players themselves. I'm going to give 20% to Stearns because, again, like you said, he is the one who assembled the team. So um, the players that aren't performing were put there by him. Um, and then I'll spread a I'll spread a nice even 10 percent across the dead and ball, the injuries, which obviously played a huge part in this season so far. And then Andy Haynes, um, you know, there is a philosophy. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much that has to do with uh, the Brewers actually performing or not. But, um, you know, I'm sure it has something to do with it. But um, I, I throw my weight into the players personally. Matt, I see a bunch of tweets and texts on my show from people who listen and they text in. They're like, well, they don't have any good hitters, right? They're, they're just a bunch of bad hitters. No, they're no, they're not. And I people get bogged down. They're like, who's a career average 240 hitter? Oh, OK. Batting average isn't meaningless anymore, but it doesn't mean as much as some people would like to think. Right. right. Colton Wong is a good hitter. Lorenzo Cain and Avi Garcia and especially Omar Narvaez, who I've really been trying to, to build up on my show. These are good hitters. Now, they're not going to win you series by themselves. They need Yelich and Hira. But to say that the rest of this roster doesn't have any good hitters, it's over-exaggeration and it's, right. it's wildly negative by fans. And it's just not accurate. Yeah, it, it's there, there's so much. And, and like a lot of guys like like to place blame on like individual players like oh jackie bradley's in a slump he's terrible you know this is whatever or you know on kane or on urias and, and it's like you're you're trying to call it like you know single individual guys and it's like their struggles aren't necessarily what's causing the entire like it, it's all of them together that, that are struggling that's really kind of the thing so um for me i'm gonna place 30 percent um on the players and i'm gonna place another 30 percent on the injuries because i mean for I mean, really looking at this, I mean, Yelich missed essentially a month. You know, they were without their best hitter for an entire month. Their second best hitter, Keston Hira, has not been himself. You know, his, his mom is sick. He's dealing with a position change. He's got, you know, so much that, that's going on there. And he's he was just in a giant slump from the get-go, never really able to get going. So their top two hitters were done. Their, their top left-handed power hitter, Yelich, was gone for a month. And their top right-handed power hitter, Hira, uh, hasn't been able to hit at all. He hasn't been able to hit for power, hasn't been able to hit for average. Um, and, and that's really kind of uh, the, been the really kind of big issue for for them because they need a right-handed power bat. Right now, I think it's probably Avisail Garcia, and he generally doesn't hit more than 20 homers each season. But, like, they got no one else. Their other right-handed hitters are Lorenzo Cain and Luis Urias. Those guys aren't really known as power guys. Otherwise, you got Tyrone Taylor on the bench as your only other right right-handed bat uh, that that has some power. So they don't really have much outside of Keston Hira being being their right-handed power bat. So um, th then I'm going to place 20% then on Stearns for not really kind of getting some some power help. I mean, you look at this offseason and what he got. He got Colton Wong and he got Jackie Bradley Jr. Wong, like you said, Grant. 
He's a good hitter. Yeah. He, but he's not going to provide much power. But you get him for second base and prove the defense there. But then you move Keston Hira to first base, where his if his bat plays up to what you expect, he's maybe a you know average to above average first baseman offensively. If he hits 30 homers a season, and I mean if he can have that 300 average, that'll be great. But his if he did that as a second baseman, he'd be a top five second baseman in the league. And then when it comes to Jackie Bradley, I mean, you, you kind of know what you're getting there offensively. He's hot and cold. Uh, doesn't have, you know, a ton of power. Doesn't hit for a super high average. Um, so you, you needed help at the corners. And what they got was Travis Shaw in a minor league deal, who's been fine so far, but he's not a giant upgrade over what they had at the position last year. I mean, they, they had a terrible job at the position last year, but Shaw, he, he's a step above for sure, but he's sitting like what? 225 yeah. home runs. Like he's not, he's not the 2017 version of himself uh, quite yet. So I think there's a little bit on Stearns for not really getting any, any sort of help for those corner infield spots and getting power bats. They also haven't developed any. They, they got nothing really coming up through the farm system uh, as power bats on the corners. And, I mean, Ernesto Martinez is the only exciting one, and he's super far away. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to place another 20% there, um, and then I'll split the, the final, uh, you know, I'll split 10% on Haynes and 10% on Manfred. Um, just because, I mean, it, it technically is Haynes's job to, you know, try and get these guys figured out and, and we'd like this all to happen sooner, um, and, and try to work with these guys. And we, we keep on hearing occasionally about these lengthy, uh, marathon hitting sessions and, and batting practice to get some of these guys going like the way this offense has been, he should be doing that like every single day with one of these guys trying to get them like back on track, um, or, or something. And yeah, the dead in baseball, there were so many fly balls that landed just a few feet short of being home runs that last year, I think they typically would have been home runs. Um, Rob Manfred just needs to stop messing with the baseball. <laughs> like, well, it's just, ugh. you know, you know, what's funny, Gasper, too, is like last year, what was everyone's complaint last year? Like the Seth Everett's of the world are going off saying it's, oh, it's all strikeouts and home runs. Yeah, okay. it's a so, juice baseball. Yeah, so the response then was to take away the home runs. So now all we have is strikeouts because like <laughs> yeah. teams didn't change the way they were approaching hitting. So looking back, deadening the baseball is an asinine idea because teams weren't going to adapt right away. They were going to get into the season, play two months, and realize, oh my god, the baseball's dead. We got to adapt the way that we're hitting. So what we're left with is on top of the amazing pitching right now, we have a bunch of teams that are taking a hitting approach that was successful last year but is no longer. So now instead of all home runs and strikeouts, you just have all strikeouts like it. Yeah. In theory, it's like we need to back off the offense a little bit, but it certainly didn't have the intended effect. And then you get four no hitters in 15 days. And yeah, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like it's like no one thought about this at, at Major League Baseball headquarters. Like it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to deaden the baseball and, and you know, de-juice it so we don't get all these home runs. It's like, well, then what are we left with? Like, do, do you think we're just going to get <laughs> like, do you think those home runs are just going to become doubles? Like, no, the outfielders are going to be able to be underneath them and, and catch them for flyouts. So then we then we're left with even less offense because the complaints over the past few years. Yeah, has been offense is going down. The, you know, hit, hitting has been going down. Pitching has been getting so much better. And then they dead in the baseball. They take away the home runs. So, you know, the offense can't even, you know, get things out to to fully beat the shift or beat whatever else. 
you know, hit it over the fence. So now you're just left with with the strikeouts and beating the ball in, and beating the ball into the ground and hitting into the shift. And and that's what's been happening with so many of these guys. And no one at base at Major League Baseball stopped to think of this. Can I preach optimism for like five seconds on Stearns and the roster really quick? Like, oh, I, please. I, I really like Stearns and the way that he operates, especially as a small market GM. Not all of his trades have been great. Um, I think he's batting a lot closer to like 200 or, or I guess batting 500 to like use a non-literal baseball analogy. He's batting a lot closer to 500 than I think a lot of Brewers fans would like to think. There's been a lot of good, but then there's been a lot of bad too. What I like about him in the offseason and that he is always looking for market inefficiencies to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. A guy that should have gotten a big deal but didn't. And then the Brewers are able to capitalize. Whether or not they fit a need for the team, he's looking to add talent that is coming in under market value. And I think that's what he did with Colton Wong, who they still paid a handsome amount of money, but it's not like it broke the bank. Same with Jackie Bradley Jr., Mm -hmm. Moose and Grandal years ago. The problem is when you operate like that in the offseason, you're only looking for value and not necessarily looking for fit. That puts such a huge onus on Craig Council to then have to figure it out, which he's been able to do. So here we sit in mid-May. I would just tell Brewers fans, Craig Council has not given us reason to doubt him before, especially figuring it out towards the end of the year. 162 games is a long time, and that's time that you use to figure out your batting lineup, to figure out how you manage your bullpen, and to figure out how these guys best work with each other. And I don't know if we can really condemn this roster and condemn Council and this team, especially the level that some people have, when we're, what, 43 games into the season, we stand after this Royals series. So I think we do need to wait a little bit because Council has showed in the past that he can take a mess and figure out how to best use it. And this is a good roster. It's not a mess, but you get my point. These puzzle pieces mm-hmm. don't exactly fit together. Right, exactly. And I, I like that you brought up the David Stern's batting average because I, I figured out that batting average um, last December. You did. Um, looking at what he did on trades, and I'm pulling up the article now, and I'm looking up the actual number um, again on trades, because um, I mean, I was, I mean, in some of these trades, like some of these trades were much smaller than others, um, so that might have like inflated his batting average a little bit. Um, yeah. But like the Jonathan uh, Scope trade stunk. I don't yeah, know that it really yeah, that, cost that one them stunk games. the. The Maldonado for Jet Bandy trade, that one was a bust. The Aguilar um, trade is looking considerably worse by the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. What um, about the G Man Choi trade, too? They it's not like they haven't had first baseman. Yeah, they they had like three or four of them. That they had Garrett Cooper there. That one also busted. Um yeah, so when it comes to trades, I actually had Stearns at a seven seventy-two uh batting average. So I mean, yeah, that, that's kind of inflated by a couple of, like, small ones because, like, I had the the Chase Anderson trade uh, for Chad Spanberger. I called that one a hit because Spanberger was kind of a, you know, decent uh, first base guy for the Miners. And Anderson, it, it was time to get rid of him, um, and they were going to decline him. So to be able to get something for him um, was good. And, you know, the, um, the Mark Mathias trade, he was a decent, you know, utility guy. Um, but... Yeah, like it, it's just been things like that. Um, but he certainly has been a little bit rougher in free agency uh, lately um, with what he did in 2020. That free agent group really, really was not that good um, and, and really just kind of dragged it down. I I had him uh, at a 574 batting average in free agency. But prior to the 2020 season, 
I, I had him at a 676 average. So his batting average dropped 100 points with just 2020's free agency. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's had a little bit, you know, rough go of it with, with some of those things. But also, like, if you look back to, you know, at the time and, and how things were going on and how the roster was built, um, it, it made sense to make the trades. Um, but in, in a lot of those cases, the guys that they got back just didn't work out. I think they were victims of a tough year last year, too. Like, Narvaez is going to prove, I think, to be a very solid piece. Assuming everything else falls into place, Yelich in here or there, I think he's a really good offensive catcher. He's not Grandal, but he does a lot of the same things very well. You know, getting on base, mm-hmm. quality at bats. And Avi Garcia, if he's your fourth or fifth outfielder, I think you could do a lot worse. So I, I think those signings are going to look better. Now, the infield, that that's a completely different story. But those are the oh, two yeah. signings that I mostly remember from last year. And I think they're going to pan out to be better than they looked last year. I think kind of going off what you were saying a little bit earlier, Grants, I, I think one a couple of reasons for optimism that we can still have as Brewers fans. One, this is a 162-game season, and there is time to figure it out. We'd be past the two-thirds of the season mark if there, this were 2020 yeah, already. Yeah, we're, we, we're only at know, the quarter we, mark. Exactly. And so still time to turn things around. Um, it's funny that actually you mentioned Seth Everett because one thing I remember him always saying on the big show here when he would come on as a guest um, was that you don't even care about the standings until at best Memorial Day. And so that is when maybe you start to kind of start tinkering with things. And so plenty of time to get that thing figured out. On top of that, as we've kind of mentioned in the past, you know, Stearns has never been afraid if he thinks that the team is going to be competitive to make moves midseason, especially the closer that you get to that trade deadline. And so as long as the Brewers can kind of keep afloat and then maybe start to rise a little bit as some of these injured guys, like we said, you know, start getting back into a groove, we can expect that maybe he'll start to add some guys. Is it going to be the Trevor Story move that seemingly every single Brewers (laughs) fan wants him to do? Maybe not. Maybe, because... Only paying him the rest of this year's salary could uh, be a little bit easier on the team. But he will do something to help, whether it's patching up those corner infield spots, whether it's kind of plugging up the leaky bullpen spots that seem to be the one other potential issue that may have to be addressed later on in the season. He will do that as long as the Brewers show that they have a shot this year. Yeah, and and, I mean, when it comes to that... uh... Um, the Trevor story thing. I mean, it really kind of depends on what you see from Luis Arias. And um, that, that's something that's also kind of been a hot topic lately, you know, with Urias's uh, couple of errors the other day um, and, and his bat has kind of gone cold a little bit. Uh, where do you guys stand on the Luis Arias front right now? I mean, uh, I, I know there are a lot of people on Twitter that have been calling to pull the plug. This experiment isn't working. I'm just like, it has been five weeks. The Brewers yeah. gave Orlando Arcia five years before they finally pulled the plug. So I, I don't think they're going to be pulling the plug this early. He's 23 years old. Um, but w- Grant, where do you stand right now on Luis Arias? Well, you know, I, I was as big of an Orlando Arcia guy as in existence. Like there were a lot mm-hmm. of things that he did that I really liked that didn't necessarily show up on baseballreference.com. Like little things that I like. As a fan, you pick up and you're like, well, there's not a stat for that, but I really like that. Like, I liked how he would randomly go off in games and and he wasn't 
Like he was basically impervious to outside conditions. Like if the rest of the team was getting no hit, Orlando RC would have four hits. And if the rest of the team was hanging 10 runs on somebody, he'd have four strikeouts. And I, I liked that because I think that helps you stay out of slumps as a team offensively. I, you didn't ask me about Orlando RC though. The Luis Urias thing, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm feeling pretty patient with him. I mean, Craig Council hit the nail on the head when he said, look, there's a, there's a level of what you can tolerate and what you can't. Um, and I think giving him the day off, I like, I see the tools with him defensively. The problem is as soon as he stands up to throw, I like, I close my eyes and I feel like hopefully that's correctable. He's not a nightmare in the field. I think Luis Urias is a great example of what I mentioned with David Stearns a couple of minutes ago. You buy low on someone and you try to take advantage of a market inefficiency. And Stern sees that he is a high ceiling guy. Maybe he busts, but maybe he turns into a great franchise shortstop that's dynamic and that hits for power and is is a big part of this lineup. And those are the kind of bets that the Brewers need to make and hit on to stay relevant year after year after year, because they're not going to be able to afford to go out and get Trevor Story this year and then go pay another guy in two years. Like they're going to need to hit on a homegrown guy. And I think. Luis Urias is a wise investment in that regard. Now, whether he turns out or not, that remains to be seen. And I'm willing to let this ride for a solid amount longer. I'm not looking to trade or get rid of him. Maybe he works out, maybe he doesn't. Regardless, I like the process and I like the idea from David Stearns. And I think that's half the battle. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, that, like I was said at the time, like it made sense to move on from Arcia. You had to give Urias a chance because you got Bryce Terang coming up through the farm system. And he's probably going to be ready early next season, um, ready to come up. So you got to give Urias his his shot. You'll give him this year, see if he can lock down that job because um, you got Terang in the pipeline, um, and, and he's one of the youngest guys at Double uh, A Double A South, I, th- I think they are, um, or Double A East. I don't know. Either way, the, the whole minor league realignment is just kind of confusing <laughs> sometimes. Um, but, yeah, you got that. And if they believe right now that Luis Rios isn't going to be the guy, which I don't think they're there yet, you know, then you could go for a guy like Trevor Story as a rental. Um, but, I mean, you know you're not going to sign Story long term. You, you know he's not going to be the long term shortstop if you do get him because um, you're not going to be able to sign him to three hundred million dollars or whatever in free agency. Um, and I mean, you already kind of made that with Yelch and yeah, Grant, I think you made a great point, you know, with the process of making bets on those guys and, and hitting on some homegrown talent, uh, to stay successful. I mean, they made the bet on Christian Yelch when they got Yelich, he was not an MVP candidate. You know, he was a solid hitter with maybe a, a little bit of power that they really kind of turned into an MVP player and they hit on him and, and that really kind of sparked this whole um, success for this roster for the past couple of years. And now they need a couple of more guys around them because the guys like Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal are not there. The farm system is getting close or getting closer to, you know, producing some, some good players. Um, but it's, it's not quite there yet. And, and in the meantime, you know, you're, you're banking on your guys like Luis Urias and, and Keston Hira, who already has come up to really kind of hit and, and be those guys. And so far the pitching staff has jumped up into that and, and the, and the pitching that they've developed uh, has stepped into that role, but they don't quite have the hitters there yet. Yeah. And with Urias, you know, I'm a huge fan of him. His uh, even this year that his 86, 86 OPS plus is already better than three of five, Orlando Arcea seasons. Um, it's just the 
throwing errors that have kind of come up, cropped up out of nowhere. I'm a fan of letting him work things out. I think if they do send him down to AAA to kind of just clear his head for a week or two, I would be fine with that as well. My issue is I just don't see a lot of great options to replace him. Um, Pablo mm-hmm. Reyes played last night, but, you know, I, he, he's nice to have as a backup. I don't know that I necessarily want him playing tons he, of games there. He's their sixth, like, utility backup. Right, option. right, exactly. So he shouldn't be the guy to step in for, you know, a couple weeks straight if that's what it comes down to. Um, Daniel Robertson would be more solid in the field, but he was not hitting particularly well before he went out with the injury. Um, and he actually, uh, Will Salmon says he's been hitting the ball hard, but he hasn't been getting a lot of hits in his rehab assignments. Um, and then the call from a lot of fans seems to be to bring up uh, D. Strange Gordon because he's been hitting pretty well in his start to AAA. But that doesn't always translate to the majors. I say that as I wrote a piece about how Zach Green should be called up based off of his <laughs> stats down in the minors. Um, so take that for what you will. But I think defensively, there's no guarantee that Strange Gordon's going to be better. If you look up uh, his history at shorts, um, he played primarily short at the beginning of his career. It wasn't great. <laughs> he had a 949 fielding percentage as a shortstop um, and was has been good over his career for a negative 23 defensive runs saved at the shortstop position. Now, granted, he hasn't played there primarily since about 2013. So maybe as a crafty veteran, he's learned some tricks and gotten a little bit better. I don't know. But he is by no means an obvious answer defensively at shortstop. So, and there's a reason why he has been on a few teams over the last couple of years based off of his lack of being able to hit recently. So I don't know that that's as obvious either. Maybe it's you file it into the you might as well give it a shot category. I don't know. But I that's why I'm almost more inclined to just let it ride with Urias and see if he just works his way through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I Look, the Urias thing, can we like I think we need to be fair to Luis Urias. Like his error count isn't that far away from other great shortstops in baseball. He's up there with Baez and Iglesias and others. The problem with the problem with him is they've all come in like three games. He has, he has mm-hmm. three games now with at least two errors. It's not that the nine total errors or whatever it is the day that we record this that's that's out of pocket. It's that he's sank like two or three games just by himself. And I think that's gotten Brewers fans riled up. I think what Matt said is really important. I I I said this in my show the other day. Brewers fans want to get rid of Urias. I don't know that the Brewers can. I, I don't I don't no. know that they have that they, they they don't have somebody who can slide in. Now Pablo Reyes is hitting the ball okay right now. Gasper and I were talking about that earlier this week. I was complaining to him that Pablo Reyes is in the lineup and then he goes off and has a couple decent nights and he's really <laughs> fast. You'll take what you can get. Any sort of positivity on offense. I'll take Pablo Reyes right now and I'll I'll ride him if he's hitting okay. But and it might coincide nicely. Pablo Reyes gets a couple of days where you know, you can ride that bad and then you work Urias back in when I think Reyes probably comes back down to earth. But other than that, I, I'm i more than happy to continue to play out the string with Urias. I, I think on the, the grand list of problems right now, Urias is is nowhere near the top of what the Brewers need to figure out. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I agree with both you guys. They, they really got to they gotta stick with them. I mean, they traded Arcia essentially to be like, hey, we're sticking with you. You are you are the guy. Because, um, as I said before, Terang is not ready yet. He's probably not going to be ready at all this season. 
Um, so the, this is his year for it. And, and the only guy down in down in AAA, down in the minors that could do it is old friend Hernan Perez. He could be <laughs> decent. He could be decent defensively what you need. He, he's what you need in that clubhouse because he's fun. He knows that clubhouse. Uh, he'd bring the energy there that um, that, that they lost, I'd, I'd say, when uh, Arcia got traded. So, I mean, Perez, probably not going to provide you much with the bat, but he'd be fun, and he he could play decent shortstop um, in the meantime. So maybe they should just call him up to, to be the backup shortstop, the utility infielder, um, instead of Pablo Reyes. They have an open 40-man roster spot right now, so maybe they should do it. There are worse ideas. I'm not, I'm not going to act yeah. like it, 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 like cure cancer and get the Brewers back to seven games above 500. But like, why not? I think if, if you don't have one option you love, have a couple of guys in the fold right now, you ride the hot bat until Rios is in a place where he's comfortable to come back. And the way that Craig Council likes to be, you know, oscillatory with his lineups, he likes to move guys up and down and have them in and out, sometimes even to the point where I don't like it. And I defend Craig Council the day I die. Um, it seem, it would seem to fit and it would stand to reason that having one or two or three guys to be around for a week or two, ride the hot bat until Arias is ready to go. I think that would fit the Brewers timeline. And I think it would fit Craig council too. I think one important kind of down the road thing to just possibly keep in the back of the mind too, um, is we only have, you know, guaranteed Colton Wong through next year. Um, there's, a potential that when Terang is ready, that it's a Terang Urias middle infield once Wong sure. moves on. And so that's even more of a reason that you want to let Urias kind of work through this because the, it's not like if he doesn't figure it out this year, they're moving on. You know, they mm-hmm. probably committed to him for a little while and he may be playing into uh, the future more than at just this position. So, you know, if he struggles at shortstop, but at least figures out the hitting part, you know, move him to a more natural position at second once Terang is ready to take over short. You know, that may be a future configuration for the Brewers, but it only happens if Urias is able to prove that he's able to stay around at a major league level. And so there may be just just a slight eye towards the future in that as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got him for several years of team control. Um, it, it was a long-term investment that they made getting Urias and um, yeah, it's someone that, that they really got to stick with. And, you know, as council said, struggles are going to happen, especially with young players. And it's just trying to limit those games where he's got two or three errors all in a row. Um, and things just kind of spiral on him. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with them when they, uh, return to play here against Cincinnati, um, and then back home against the Padres. Um, so that'll be, That'll be a good series. I think you got Woodruff versus Blake Snell on Monday night there. You got Corbin Burns versus Joe Musgrove um, on on Tuesday. So you're going to have some really good pitching matchups there. And you're probably going to have a lot of one, nothing two nothing two one games. You can tune in in the sixth inning and you're probably not going to miss anything other than like (laughs) great pitching. Like I'm I'm not downplaying that, but you know, if you want to see, uh, plays and innings that decide the game and scoring plays. You just tune in in the fifth. You're probably good. Freddie Peralta versus the Reds this weekend is fantastic. I always love that matchup after the Mother's Day game that we got, what, mm-hmm. two two years ago? Like, I 20, still yeah. reference that game. So, I Freddie, I think, I know you mentioned this, Gasper, but, like, we could be on a trajectory with Peralta, too, very similar to Burns and Woodruff, maybe just a year or so behind. I We don't need to yeah. get into the weeds on that, but 
this Red Series should be fun. And then the Padres, hopefully that's a that's a series where the Brewers kind of come back up to earth. Um, I think we've seen with council-led teams, especially against the Cubs, no matter how they're trending, good or bad, they always seem to match up with opponents. Now, they might not always mm-hmm. win, but they're not getting blown out by by even teams that are substantially better than them. So I'm I'm hopeful for these next two series. I think yeah, we're going to see some good things. Yeah, and they tend to hit well in Cincinnati. Um, and and yeah. that's a pretty good hitter's park. So maybe that can... Maybe that can spark something for them. So I think that's a good optimistic point to uh, stop it this week. So that, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Grant Bills of the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks so much, man, for, for hopping on and talking to us this week. Thank you, fellas. This was fun. Anytime. Yep. Sounds good. All right. So for Grant Bills, for uh, May. Oh, also be sure to follow Grant at Wisco Grant on Twitter. Uh, follow Matt at MKEMatt13 and I am at DGasper24 um, so that'll do it for us this week for Grant Bills for Matt Carroll I'm Dave Gasper we'll see you next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast